there has to be times where you both put the phone away and look into each other's eyes. And maybe all of a sudden you're like, yeah, let's bang. And if you were on your phones, that that feeling would have just never arisen. Welcome back to Rebels Agenda. This is Lindsay. I'm here with my co-host, Katrina. And today we are back with another baddie. Remember this season, we're talking through badass women throughout history who have really changed the course of who we are. And so today we're talking about Dr. Ruth. She's known as a sex therapist, but she's got quite a bit that happened in her life before that. So Katrina, could you intro Dr. Ruth for us? Absolutely. And first and foremost, happy birthday, Dr. Ruth. We're posting happy this birthday. episode on June 4th. And Dr. Ruth is 95 years old today. So if you do hear this episode, we want to honor you with uh, just chatting about you today, all of the great contributions you've made, and the revolutionary work you've done in the sex therapy industry. And we hope you have a great birthday. Happy birthday, oh. 95. That's wild. 95. <laughs> okay, so Dr. Ruth. That's how she's popularly known. Full name Ruth Westheimer was born in 1928 in Germany. So you might be thinking 1928. Ooh, we're right around coming up on Nazi Germany times. And that's going to be a huge influence in Dr. Ruth's youth. So at about 10 years old, she was sent away to school for her safety. It was actually like a kindergarten program that was specifically for children to rescue them from the impending Holocaust. And it was successful. Dr. Ruth was safe, but sadly her parents and most of her family were killed during the Holocaust. So Ruth had a tragic start to her life. Um, and after World War II, she moved to Palestine, now Israel, and joined the Haganah, which was a Jewish military organization that played a really significant role in the establishment of what is now Israel. So Dr. Ruth, it turns out, was naturally endowed with amazing sniper skills. And when she was in this organization, they just realized that she was a really good shooter and she was trained to do this. She was also really handy with a grenade. She never saw combat, but to this day, she could tell you stories about times that she went to a fair with her grandson and brought home like 15 stuffed animals because she's such a good shot. So after her stint uh, training in the military, Dr. Ruth pursued her studies. And she studied psychology at a Hebrew university in Jerusalem, earning her master's degree in sociology and her doctorate um, of education from Columbia University in New York. So her career took off from here as a really successful sex therapist. In the late 1970s, she caught the attention of a local radio producer who invited her to host her own radio show called Sexually Speaking. And this is when her fame really took off. So Dr. Ruth has this unique ability to discuss really intimate and awkward topics, especially in the 70s, talking about sexual intimacy and pleasure, especially a woman's pleasure on the radio was pretty much unheard of. And her straightforward just logical approach to talking about sex was super appealing. Her radio show blew up and eventually led to a television show called The Dr. Ruth Show, which aired from 1984 to 1990. Dr. Ruth is warm. She's humorous. She's an expert in her field. And she tore down all kinds of barriers around talking about sex and talking about healthy relationships and open communication. Um, still through to this day, she's still active in her field at 95 years old. Throughout her career, Dr. Ruth has authored numerous books called Dr. Ruth's Guide to Good Sex, Sex for Dummies, The Art of the Arousal, and more. And she's just left an indelible mark on the sexual health community, industry, 
and field. So I want to get into in our questions some of the more notable, hilarious Dr. Ruth quotes. Um, but we'll start out with our question we always ask, which is why is she bad and why is she a badass? Yes. So Dr. Ruth paving the way for all of us in sexual health. Uh, I watched a clip where she appeared on Late Night with David Letterman in 1982. And he introduces her as having become somewhat of a cult figure. Like that's the first part of his introduction of her. So I think a lot of people saw Dr. Ruth as this like out there, weird, just strange. And on live television, late night, she said, intercourse, foreplay, penis, vagina. That was a straight quote. And the crowd laughs when she says that. And she says, you know, I don't mind giggles because I think that sexual activity should be fun. So uh, I think a lot of America at that time and, you know, probably even now would question how open she is with these words that are so typically taboo. Um, but I think she's a badass for it. Yeah, I love that. Just she is one of those women that is not afraid to just say the thing that everyone's kind of clamming up to say. And a lot of her notable quotes are about putting yourself out there. I think one of them, she's saying her favorite animal is a turtle because they have to stick their neck out to move forward. And yeah. that's like the definition of sticking your neck out, kind of just like putting yourself on the line for possible ridicule, backlash, criticism, but knowing that that's the only way to drive change and progress. And Dr. Ruth does that over and over. Uh, another reason she might be interpreted as bad or controversial is Dr. Ruth is a proponent of legalizing prostitution. She would like to see prostitution legalized within her lifetime, and she feels strongly that women should be able to pay for a gigolo. She said, why should only rich men have young, beautiful women? Rich women should have young, beautiful men. I don't know how you argue with that. Well, there you go. I mean, come on, Ruth. We're rooting for you. 95 years old, and you want to see it in your lifetime. Our fingers are crossed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So as we were researching Dr. Ruth and as you were reading her bio, the first really like 50, 60 years of her life are pretty short and briefly recounted. Although to survive the Holocaust, to have your family, you know, murdered in that would have been wild. And she spent six years in an orphanage. So something I'm really curious about is how you go from that type of unconventional and really traumatic childhood to having this incredible career in sex therapy. It is seemingly like unrelated field. Yeah. I don't right? get the relation and I want to. Maybe there isn't one. I mean, it, yeah, you would think, you know, with how she started out, Holocaust survivor and then, you know, training in the military and then going to school that maybe you would think, okay, this bio is going to be about someone who turns into some kind of activist or, you know, like a, a really strong proponent for the Jewish community, which I'm sure she is. And for her to just be like, well, I'm just going to keep following my dream and be the most famous sex therapist alive is just like- It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. She you would rose, never guess. Rose out of this hardship and just, I, there wasn't anything in her bio about how she came up with that idea, why she studied what she studied. And then like you said, she's a sex therapist for like 30, 40 years before she gets discovered for the radio right. and has a successful career. I like the quote that you put in here. And I almost didn't even want to include it because I don't know if I agree with it. Yeah. I think it is indicative of how she kind of went from that hardship to her successful career. And it is one of my secrets to getting the most from life is that I naturally forget bad things that have happened to me. What do you think? I that relate means? to that on a deep, I really do relate to that on a deep level. It's one of the reasons I'm currently in therapy. I think I just block out 
things that I remember being hurtful or sad. Even uh, I was asked by, we're not really strangers game question. What's the most painful you remember feeling that wasn't physical? I had such a hard time because I black out painful experiences. And so I haven't had much trauma in my life. So for somebody like Dr. Ruth, who lost her whole family from the Nazis, like I cannot even imagine that level of blocking out. What do you think it means though, that she says that's a good thing to forget your trauma? Maybe it's just a coping mechanism that's necessary for survival and then maybe success. Maybe that that's a controversial one. I think there would be a lot of the school of a lot of people of the school of thought that in order to truly overcome your trauma, you must address it. For sure. I I too have struggled with that. We're not really strangers question. Um, (laughs) And that you and I have led really, I mean, I'm thankful that we've led the lives that we've led and haven't had to deal with the kind of trauma that Dr. Ruth has. So absolutely no judgment on what she has done to get through life and find the most success in life. I just thought it was an interesting coping mechanism. Just be like, yeah, I just forget about it. Whatever, whatever keeps you going. You're obviously doing something right. That's right, birthday girl. Keep it going. (laughs) So in more recent years, speaking of kind of our take on Dr. Ruth's opinions, you know, Dr. Ruth's 95, not a spring chicken. And she's worried about the younger generation. And what she's worried about is that the next generation, which at this point is probably our parents, and then you've got us, and then now you've got what's the one younger than us, Gen Z? Yes. Or you're like half Gen Z? I don't know. I I'm am. like, I'm <laughs> hot blooded millennial. Full blown millennial. And Gen, Gen Z's don't speak my language. Um, but Dr. Ruth has been worried for a while now about the next generation, saying she's she's not sure that we'll be able to have real conversations. And there's a quote about her seeing a couple walking down the street, you know, both on their phones. And she's just really concerned about what that means. Speaking of avoidance, does that mean that they're going to avoid those difficult, open conversations that are required to make a relationship work, especially a sexual relationship? Mm-hmm. Do you think we're yeah. doomed? It's a tough one. I think that ever since technology has been a thing which has been forever there has been concern about it impacting our relationships and our maybe our sexuality with each other interconnectedness i think phones for me really does hit home because it's not super often that i get in a place where i want to be sexual and if i see (laughs) my zach my husband on his phone when i like want that there's it's it's biggest ick and there, it's such a turnoff for me because it's like hello I'm right here like I want this now and it's not on him to know that I'm there but it's the, it feels like this physical barrier that takes priority in a moment when I want to or something. I agree. It's it's a physical barrier like between your bodies. Mm-hmm. If you're sitting next to each other and you're both on your phones, mm-hmm. even if maybe it's not as explicit as oh I'm feeling horny right now and Matt's on his phone. But it might be like, I'm not even giving myself the opportunity to feel horny because I'm looking at memes, which like, I love memes. And anything that makes you laugh, I think is great. So there's a time and a place for memes. And I think it's a barrier to intimacy in our relationships that we have to be conscious of and consciously overcome. There has to be times where you both put the phone away and look into each other's eyes. And maybe all of a sudden you're like, yeah, let's bang. And if you were on your phones, that, that feeling would have just never arisen. Yeah, or it just would have died quickly. And I think phone usage in bed is what uh, gets to me too, whether it's first thing in the morning or at night, because, you know, similar to how I wasn't allowed to have a TV in my room growing up, 
I, I think the idea is to have this like space where you can just be with your feelings as opposed to being with everyone else's feelings. Uh, were you, did you have a TV in your room growing up? Same thing. No TV growing up. Definitely used to piss me off. I'm grateful for it now. And Matt and I will continue that tradition. We do not have a TV. Mm-hmm. We will never have a TV in the bedroom. Um, and I, I've set boundaries for myself recently with phones in bed. First thing in the morning, I used to just check my phone, whatever, work, email, or, or, or even just like Instagram or whatever. And now Matt's already left for work. So I don't have couples time in the morning, but I snuggle with my dog for the first 10 minutes of my day every morning. And I find that very healing and soothing. Cute. One of my favorite quotes from Ruth, Dr. Ruth, speaking about the morning is she says, engage in sex in the morning when the testosterone level is highest and after a good night's sleep for her, have a little breakfast, hang the phone off the hook and go back into bed. I Especially thought of you when I read this. You've been, <laughs> you've been trying to get me and Matt to have more morning sex for like literally the past year. So it's my I, favorite. You know, you believe in it. I we have different morning routines. Usually he's out of the house. So the opportunity doesn't, doesn't always arise, but you know, it can be tough, which is what makes it more special. I think is when you can make it happen. It's like, all right, we, we prioritized this. My first thought when I wake up after my 10 minutes of snuggling with Willow is coffee. And then mm-hmm. I just feel like I start my day, but I think it's a good challenge to just kind of be like, to get back in bed. Cause she's not saying wake up and just mm. immediately roll over and do it. She's saying like, right. get up and then return to bed. And that's when it's really easy to let life get in the way. Right. And just totally. Instead of making time to like get back in bed, that sounds really counterintuitive to me. It really does. <laughs> yeah. It's a challenge. Um, but I'm telling you, it's one of my favorite challenges. I liked this quote, just speaking of Dr. Ruth is just, we could just like talk about all of her quotes for literally hours. It says, don't criticize in the sack, discuss constructively later. And I really liked this one. And I've heard this advice a few times and have found it to be, well, I find it to make sense for all conflict. It's like, you don't tell someone what they're doing wrong while they're already heated or in the moment of it or criticize Mm -hmm. them at that time. It's better to kind of sit on it, digest, and then discuss it. Even if it's awkward to be like, hey, remember last night? when like the specific thing happened and you did that thing, like I would prefer that. It's It almost feels more awkward, but to do it at the time, that that's a boner killer. It is. It can be really hurtful to an ego or to just like a the moment. A lot of my questions around sex sometimes feel taboo because I'm not sure if they relate or are questions that other people are asking. And I ask myself, like, is it my upbringing? Um, is it because I was in the church so much? Like, are are these things off limits to ask? And I liked another quote that she said, which was, I gave a talk in Egypt. There was about 250 couples of Muslim faith. The questions I got from them about who should initiate, about premature ejaculation, inability to obtain or maintain an erection, about sexual satisfaction of women were the same questions that I get here. And I, I find a lot of comfort in that, knowing that as humans, we all kind of wonder these same things. Same. And you saying that those the conversations that you and Zach have had around your intimacy are hard. It's like you're not feeling that you're not alone. I don't think there is any couple that I know of mm-hmm. that finds it easy to talk about how to improve their sex life. It's just like an awkward thing. Like I think we would all just like to get in bed and have the best sex we've ever had. Mm-hmm. But we are not mind readers. Sometimes we don't even know what we want. And figuring it out is, it's awkward. It can feel kind of non-sexy. It takes time. It takes an open mind. You have to put egos aside. 
it's a bitch. And, but yeah, yeah, like there are these Muslim couples in Egypt going through the exact same thing. And I'm here in Los Angeles and it's kind of that, that sense of oneness of like, we're all going through this together. We all want satisfying sex lives and satisfying relationships and beautiful, fulfilling relationships. And I don't, it's not easy for any of us. Yeah. I love it. Love it. And on that note, we'll leave you with a final quote from the birthday girl herself, Dr. Ruth, before we jump into our poem. And it is, never forget that you have every right to a satisfying sex life. So thanks, Dr. Ruth. Matt and I are definitely going to keep working on it, as are Zach and Lindsay. And let's move on to our Lindsay original poem. Yes. Thank you. All right. This poem is called Sexually Speaking. And it's for Dr. Ruth. Tense from waving goodbye and waiting on a pigeon, only to hear the wind. Finding pleasure in the slow release of expectation, only to see the sun. Unlocking euphoria for sisters and for daughters, only to feel the moon. Happy birthday, Dr. Ruth. We love you. Please join us next week for our final episode of season one of Rebels Agenda. It's been a beautiful journey talking about all of these different badass women, a labor of love, as Lindsay calls it. And we can't wait to dive into our last baddie of the season with you. Which is Maya Angelou. And she is the poet of all poets. So next week, I think I may close out the season with a Maya original. So please, if you enjoyed today's episode, subscribe, give us a rating, share it with your friends, and we will see you next week for Maya Angelou. See you soon.